Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. I'm Aaron Cameron. As always with me, Adam Pawatic. Today is a different episode, kind of. It's the second or third one that Adam and I have done solo. Therefore, no guest, meaning we actually have to fill some airtime. I think the first one was… The very first episode, very period, first was you episode. and me. And then we did one that was Lending 101 about 8-10 months ago. Critically acclaimed. Yes. yes. Definitely the here. most popular episode we've ever done. <laughs> yeah. And this one is a bit unique. This one's actually market-driven. You know, it's, I'll time stamp it for everybody. It's Monday, April 18th, 2022. And we're now, I guess, three and a half months into the year. And we're seeing something really, really unique. And this is the first time in my career. And for those that are older that I've talked to that have been around for 20, 30 years, this is the first time in many of their careers where we're seeing an interest rate environment the way we're seeing it today. So I'll set the stage and then Adam and I will kind of dive in. We'll talk about the implications on the conventional market, therefore the non-CMHC insured. So that's effectively interest rates for commercial assets and some, some multifamily. We'll talk about the implications on the CMHC insured product as well, because that makes up the vast majority of multifamily, multifamily mortgages. Uh, and then we'll talk about the implications on construction, both, I guess, condo or other, plus multifamily, which has the biggest implications. To set the stage, before we kind of get into that, that topic trend, rates are up 100 and something basis points now. I haven't looked at it as of 2.30 on Monday, April 18th. But as of this morning... They were up over 100 basis points since the start of the year. So for context, the five-year Canada's, which is always kind of my litmus test, and then you can kind of interpolate where the 10-year would be versus where the two-year would be, assuming a kind of relatively flat curve. A curve is, of course, the difference between interest rates with different durations. This morning, the government of Canada five-year bond was 2.63%. So I'll round up just for simplicity, 2.65%. At the start of the year, it was about 150 basis points or 1.5% of thereabouts, depending on which day you pick. So it's up on 115 basis points or 1.15%. But 100 of that would be since about March 1. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah a lot of very it's up, recently. It's up 115 yeah. basis points since the start of the year. It's up about 80 basis points since March 1st. So that's only five, no, six, seven, eight weeks ago. Now we're moving into, we're moving into April. It had a huge jump in March and it slowly trickled up. I think it was at 2.5% starting the April. We're up another 15 basis points in, in, in April. But again, context, 1.5% to start the year, 2.65% today. 115 basis points is a lot, big jump anytime. But when it's going from 1.5% to 2.65%, like that's almost double. Like interest rates, just index, indices, the government of Canada bond has almost doubled just in 2022. Okay, what does that mean conventionally, right? So conventional prices their loans over Government of Canada bonds for term business. Well, and while we're here, I guess we may as well just reference Prime. Prime raised last week up another big chunk, and I always forget how much it, but I know it's 3.2% today. It was 3.45%, I don't know, not very long ago. So it's up 80, 75, 80 basis points. And Prime will continue to rise. Like this is the kind of the interesting thing. We'll save you the boredom of how and why, but the Bank of Canada has basically said they're going to raise interest rates through this mechanism, prime being sort of one of the indices that gets sort of the jumps. And so the bond market, in theory, has priced in, quote unquote, priced in these bond raises. And that happened over the first quarter of 2022, which is why we've seen it up sort of 115 basis points since the start of the year. But it is worth pointing out that when the double 
rate hike announcement came out just last week. The bond market, the CMB, the CMB, GOC, barely fluctuated 10 basis points. So all the people that said, the people that, you know, that it has been priced in and because it's forward-looking, I would say it's pretty accurate that this, you know, not unprecedented, but it's been years, if not decades, since there was a double rate hike announced for a single day and the, uh, the bond market barely flinched. So I think that in that sense, they are correct that the, the pricing has built in those kinds of movements. Yeah, which makes sense, right? Because it's yields go up when there is less demand for bonds and people weren't buying the bonds at lower interest rates because they thought rates are going to rise in the future in the near term. So why buy bonds at the current yields? Because I don't think that they're going to stay there. And so enough people go, I'm not buying bonds because I don't think those interest rates are reflective of what bond rates are going to be in the near term. All of a sudden, yields go up because people aren't buying them. Supply and demand, just Google it. I'm not going to explain <laughs> it to you now. Econ 101 yeah. for anybody that yeah, uh, hopefully, took yeah, that. I, I assume most people yeah. grasp the concept. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so bonds are up. And, like That's clearly not a secret. It's, it's the government of Canada bonds, right? Like It's obvious and it's there. What I think is more nuanced that is harder to... Well, you, there is no way to really watch this occur. It's very much market-driven. Very much... Canada is a very small, ultimately very small mortgage universe. In the sort of AAA asset, AAA borrower t- space where they're lending, and that would be the life insurance companies, a few pension funds, or some investment trusts, but there might be 10 of them, right? Like banks, I guess, to a certain degree. Those spreads that they... Well, and First National. Yes, of course. Yeah, and let's, First National. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, not yeah. overlook that one. <laughs> yes, thanks, Adam. <laughs> those spreads for those AAA assets, those have widened out by 50, maybe more basis points since the start of the year. So like, let's just do that math. Let's say it, January 1st or a date somewhere in the new year. Government of Canada bonds were 1.5%. And I'm estimating, like, you can go back and call me and say I'm wrong, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. And spreads for that really good asset, you know, let's call it a 300,000 square foot brand new industrial 40 foot clear. Like just, Amazon tenant. Yeah, imagine just the, best the airport asset class. Oh, yeah, exactly. Delightful. That would have gotten a spread of maybe 130 over Canada. So 150 plus 130, do the math. It was interest rate, all in interest rate for five years, maybe even 10 years. So 10 year fixed interest rate of 2.8%. Okay. So that was their cost of capital to borrow against that AAA asset January 1st or whatever. Today, April 18th, interest rates, what I'd say 2.65%. Spreads are 1.8, let's call it 180 basis points, plus or minus. Like I'm clearly just giving you averages. But again, for that AAA asset, 300,000 square foot Amazon tenanted industrial build, all of a sudden your interest rates for that exact same asset three and a half weeks ago, three and a half months later is 4.25%. Which is enormous. Uh, you know, Because cap rates on good industrial assets in great markets would be in and around or lower than that interest rate. Well, know? I mean, yeah. If you, I did, I'm sure if you did a market poll for that 300,000 square foot Amazon tenanted industrial build or brand new build, they probably would have said three cap, three and a half cap. And cap rates are esoteric. So of course, it's all opinion, but that's probably accurate. Three to three and a half percent for that cap rate on that kind of industrial asset. And when you're borrowing, what did I say? 2.7% or 2.8, I think was the number. That made sense. The magic of positive leverage is in effect. Borrow money at 2.8%, pay your equity is at 3.5% if it's a three and a half cap. And then you know, bada bing, bada boom, you're getting a 12% return on investment, right? Or or more. Somebody do that math, but I'm estimating, guesstimating. All of a sudden, you're paying 4.2% for that exact same capital. If you bought it at a three cap or a three and a half cap, 
like <laughs> like it does it backwards. You the amplifier lose. effect works in both directions, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the bad news on that equation. So again, April 18th, I'm going to keep saying it because rates go down 200 basis points tomorrow. We were talking about negative interest rates. So like, you know, we'll delete this episode and start again. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do a new one. But today, your best interest rate generally in the marketplace, so there are outliers always, but you can't pretend the government of Canada bond isn't 2.65% this morning. So the government of Canada bond is basically at the same point of where the all-in interest rates were three and a half months ago. And critically, as Aaron said, of course, it's worth bearing in mind, yeah, spreads have also widened out. We're going to get to CMHC in a second. Their spreads have not moved. That's the good news story there. But yeah, there's two effects working against us here is, of course, you get the spreads widening out and then the bonds going. Are you a believer in the silver lining that rents move with inflation? So inflation causes bond yields uh, to go up. I mean, it will yeah, not I mean, balance out, but soften. Is I don't, it, I, don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That, I mean, in? Kind of. I mean, I, I have a hard time seeing rents. Remember, this is nationwide. Like, you can't say that the government of Canada bond only implicates or impacts different jurisdictions, right? It's everywhere. And then the spreads are the same thing, right? Because that that is generally a risk return metric to come up with those corporate, those spreads. Well, and I should, let's just back up for a second. Why have conventional spreads widened out to where they are today? Ultimately, a lot of lenders look at triple B bonds as a comparison, as the same general risk, right? So, if I'm going to be buying mortgages or investing in mortgages or putting my money out into commercial mortgages, I kind of want a premium over the triple P bonds, not because I think it's riskier, but because it's much less liquid. Of course, you're unable to really just trade your mortgages whenever you want. Triple P bonds, you can, there's a market for it. You can kind of get in and out of the position as you see fit. So there's a 50 basis point premium, like illiquidity premium, as you would think of it, uh, over triple B bonds. Triple B bonds are way up, but I actually think that that 180 spread I was looking at it this morning. That 180 spread is actually only 30 basis points over triple B corporate bonds right now. So in theory, conventional spreads to go back to their historic norms above triple B bonds have another 20 basis points to go until they get back to that 50 basis point spread. We won't get into the concept of liquidity pressures and things like that because there's so much capital in the marketplace. I think that's having a bit of a... That's positive news there, which the case yeah. being maybe, maybe for the time being a 30-beat premium is acceptable just by virtue of there being so much capital in the market. Right. And we're going to actually, we're going to be, our next episode next week after this is an interview with a gentleman named Mark Rothschild from Canaccord Genuity. Canaccord Genuity. Thanks. I can remember which Genuity Canaccord or Canaccord Genuity. <laughs> I always get them backwards. Who is an analyst on REITs. So we're going to get a, a sort of more philosophical conversation about the implications of these rising interest rates on valuations and cap rates and all that kind of stuff. But just we just put it out there because we're still having conversations with clients because you can't really track this. You can't put it into your Bloomberg terminal and tell me where commercial mortgage spreads are, right? Like it just doesn't exist, right? So spreads are up. Canada mortgage, or sorry, the government of Canada bonds are up. All in coupons, all in interest rates today for your best deal is around four and, half, four and a quarter, 4.2%. So just putting that out there. Like, take it in, digest it in your mind. But if you're buying something at a four and a half cap or a four cap and you're borrowing at 4.2 to Adam's point, you better think there's some significant increase in revenue to turn your cap rate into a much higher cap rate in the near term, or you're investing on a 30-year horizon and then you really don't care because in 30 years, it'll be a totally different world. And so who cares if I'm borrowing at a higher rate than my investment? Yeah. The problem, of course, comes with the, the example that we identified, the Amazon uh, tenanted building. You know, it's probably in a brand new 10-year lease. Rents are at market. There, there is no upside. It's just you're, you're, you're clipping that coupon day one. So you better make sure that you've got positive leverage built in there somewhere. And markets will adjust. But right now, we are at an interesting inflection point when, when they go up this rapidly. 
is properties were put under contract seven weeks ago. We're dealing in a different environment than now they're trying to close their mortgages in. It's an ongoing, we'll call it a challenge for everybody in all sides of all transactions, lenders included. Yeah, lenders included. And I, depending on where you are in the commercial real estate universe, you are somewhere, some of you I'm sure are starting to feel it. Particularly on the brokerage side, you're probably having some transactions go sideways or pens down. Like I'm sure there are a lot of a lot of purchasers that are going, ooh, wait a minute. Like this made sense three months ago when I started my due diligence, but today it, it just doesn't. And we're starting to hear that. I'm starting to hear whispers that the market's just kind of tightening because everyone's going, okay, wait a minute. Like the reality is, and let's transition, let's segue into apartments and talk about CMHC financing because it's, it's the same over on the CMHC side of the business, whether you're buying industrial or apartments. In apartments, you use the Canada mortgage bond versus the government of Canada bond. But when they, when they move, they generally move, not in perfect parallel, but pretty close. One's up 10 beeps, the other one's up nine. Like they, they definitely go in the, in the same direction. And same idea, spread over, spread over a bond. As I teased just a couple of minutes ago, the wonderful news with apartments is spreads haven't budged. So the impact there is not as great as you'll see in the conventional market. But then the kind of counterbalance to that is because CMHC has lower interest rates than you'd find in the conventional market, movement is more impactful. So when the bonds go up, you really feel it in terms of loan constraints. Because you know in this particular asset class, you're talking about the lowest cap rates in the country, the industrial is giving a run for the money, and the lowest uh, interest rates. So debt service coverage kicks in quick and fast on, on these assets. So the bond movements going up are impacting you know, loan amount. There's only, there's only so much you can do to mitigate that. These apartment units generate what they generate, NOI, and you, you, can't really, uh, you can't really mess with that. So yeah, loan amounts are down right now. There's a few things working you know, to the benefit of apartments. One is there, the discussion we had about does inflation catch up, you know, help rents catch up? And there, yes, you get more rollover per year. In our previous Amazon example, your brand new 10-year lease, it was great that our rents go up. You're not going to see for 10 years. Well, Apartments, whatever whatever step-ups you negotiated at that inception of that lease, like that's what yeah. you stuck with. But you, with. you probably weren't basing on 6% inflation on an annual no, exactly. basis. And then with apartments, it's just there's, you know, the same idea of the availability of capital. Maybe for tougher conventional deals, might be having a slightly worse environment to try and borrow in now than, than two months ago. For the better conventional deals, it's, you know, there's still tons of money available. With apartments, there's just money available. CMHC insured, there's money available flat out. So you're not going to see any pullback in that regards on you know, term debt for CMHC. And just to put some numbers to it, this morning, again, April 18th, this morning, the Canada mortgage bond, five-year Canada mortgage bond was 3%. So versus the government of Canada bond being 2.65. So that 35 basis point spread is, is about the same. We call that a credit spread. Why is the Canada mortgage bond government insured versus the government of Canada bond also government insured different? Good question. I don't know. Well, no, Jason Ellis uh, covered that on an episode we did uh, a couple of years ago. And it's the illiquidity premiums because Canada mortgage bonds kind of a weird thing to buy and only sovereign funds like to buy it, whereas GOC is pretty widely accepted by the entire market. So that was his reason. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because Canada Canada bonds sits in mutual funds and portfolio funds and all sorts of different things. The Canada mortgage bond just doesn't necessarily get that same attraction. So 3% index spreads for five-year CMHC-insured mortgages somewhere in sort of the 55 range, let's call it. Again, for AAA, like AAA investments, it scales out, of course, because it's all a risk-reward dynamic. And so smaller the location, less liquidity of the borrower, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those spreads widen. But very good for your sort of top clients, top location, new asset, it's about 55. So the best interest rate in the Canadian universe today, fixed five years, is a CMHC-insured mortgage at 35 
3.5, right? 3.55% today. And for context, in the summer of 2020, those were getting comfortably into the one point something range, you know? Yeah, it was wild. Like about, I guess that's a year and a half ago now, maybe like two years ago now. Yeah, your interest rates were 1.5. So they're more than doubled, right? In the span of sort of a 20 month, 20 month period. And again, just compare Just if you're trying to hold on to the rope, cap rates historically are about 100 basis points wider than the cost of capital, whether that be conventional or CMC insurance. So even on apartments, typically 100 basis points. Again, it's all depends if it's a stabilized asset and who sees upside in rents and et cetera, and liquidity, which we'll talk about more next week. But generally, it's 100 basis points. So that would mean if interest rates are 3.5% today, then your cap rate for any asset, brand new build downtown core asset is about 4.5%. But of course, we're not seeing that right now. I mean, part of the good news story around that is, yeah, when interest rates were the lowest they, they've been summer of 2020, and that carried through to, I think, uh, late fall before they amped up significantly, is the gap between bond yields and cap rates was the widest it had been in I don't know, 10 or 15 yeah, years. Cap rates are slow to yeah. move to these things, obviously. Yeah. So the initial rate jumps we've experienced throughout would not have applied upward pressure on cap rates for the reason that we were kind of just absorbing all the slack that the rapid decrease in bonds at the outset of COVID had caused. But as Aaron's saying, now we're back to more historic structures, meaning there should be upward pressure on, on cap rates as a result of bond movements. But then again, I also feel like we're in a bizarre world and who knows, and there's just well, so much money it. out there and maybe we just restructure what the expectation of return is. And yeah, it's... it's well, you know. that, that's it. Like, that is, it ultimately comes down to what ROI are you ultimately willing to accept, right? And I just, there are now, I think now that cat's out of the bag, people have been, had enough conversations with their lenders to realize this isn't just a super temporary jump or glitch in the system, glitch, glitch in the matrix. Like this is, <laughs> it seems to be holding least it has now for the last two or three weeks, if not sort of slowly creeping upwards still. So I think there are now a lot of executive committees or board member meetings talking about, okay, well, we used to target 12%, 15% ROI, but if our cost of capital is up 150 basis points and we can't, the market, I just don't think the market's going to follow, right? Like that, again, I hypothesize that, you know, if interest rates are 3.5%, cap rates have to be 4.5%. Like they're just not going to do that very quickly at all. Like I think there's a lot of people out there going, well, Maybe it's an arbitrage opportunity. Maybe people are thinking that rates are going to go back down. So they'll just keep buying at three and a half, 3.75. And again, to your point, if you're sitting on so much capital and you've targeted to deploy $500 million this year, like, is it better just sitting in your bank account or is it better deploying it and just figuring out a way to make the returns work in two, three, five years from now? Well, especially in the five years, there's a theory of inflation catching the rents could uh, meaningfully change your rent rule. Five years down the road, you've hopefully had half your units roll. And there, if inflation is catching with rents, then you would see some of that realized. You would see that softened. Yeah. But yeah, as always, apartments are best designed for patients. It's not uh, your one home run. Generally speaking, you see the occasional deal like that. But for the most part, it's uh, patients is kind to apartments. And this could be yet another case where that would be true. So yeah, maybe it's not purchased day one ROI. It's five-year ROI. You just kind of eat the first five years because that's just the new... That's the new approach to business. I don't know. Before we move on, let's just quickly talk about the construction market also. Of course, we talked about prime going up. So that's just when you got variable rates, you know that there's that risk that prime is going to rise. 
Uh, and so if you're a condo developer and your interest rate's prime-based, if you're getting an increase in interest to your budget and potentially your borrower, your, sorry, your lender is asking for you to inject more equity, right? Like that's just the reality of how that metric works. And I think a lot of condo developers are long in the tooth and are aware that that's a risk. The apartment side is interesting because particularly on the CMHC side, but I, I believe this works conventionally. I know this works also conventionally. When you're underwriting an apartment deal, of course, you don't have those condo sales. So you're basically underwriting for what you think it's going to cash flow and be valued at. And therefore, you can lend on that value at some point upon delivery of the units of the market. And so, I mean, again, market rents, rents of the units is a variable, unknown variable. But we are seeing a lot of deals that are now halfway through the development or more where we know where the rents are likely going to be in a year from now. Like, you know, presumably, even if they go up above inflation, you can kind of project to a certain level. But if your interest rate you are using to underwrite the deal was 3% before, now all of a sudden it's going to be 35 or higher in a year from now, that's pushing downward pressure on valuations, of course. And debt service coverage is the big one, right? Like all of a sudden, you need to, again, if it's CMC insured, you have to maintain a 1.20 debt service coverage at underwriting rate. I can't pretend the rate's 3% when the rate's 3.5%, right? So all of a sudden we're saying, hey, listen, sorry, Mr. Borrower, Mrs. Borrower, your loan was $20 million at a 3% interest rate at a 1.20 cover. But at 3.5%, your loan's now $18 million. And so I can't lend you more than $18 million, And therefore, now all of a sudden, more equities due into the deal. I think we're just seeing that. So both unconventional, whether it's condo development or apartments, we're seeing a lot of developers now having their lenders probably knocking on their door saying, okay, you need to start putting more money in. Well, yeah, as, as a general rule of thumb, when you're underwriting to this future scenario, which of course you have to with uh, construction, is you're taking current interest rates plus a buffer of 50 beeps per year in order to handle or mitigate the risk of rising interest rates. Well, we just saw 100 beeps in the space of a couple of months. That shoes up two years of buffer. So of course now, we're the product that's still not going to deliver until 2024. Regardless of the fact that we've lost two years of buffer, this product's not going to be on stream for two years in this theoretical example. So yeah, of course it's going to make everybody nervous. I mean, again, to go back to the, our, the silver lining about rents and inflation, at least with new builds, you don't have to wait for units to roll. You can capture your entire building at then current market right upon, upon yeah. occupancy certificate. Yeah. yeah, as soon as you start renting out your units. And yeah. I mean, the nice thing, this is a weird, and we'll wrap up in a couple of minutes, but this is a bit of a weird inflationary world, right? Because it's not income driven, which is unique. It's really just capital liquidity driven and supply chain driven. I mean, that's a totally different conversation. However, the employment market seems to be strong. We're kind of getting out of COVID. It feels like the world's getting back to some normality. I think I saw that employment in Canada is down to its lowest and like historic lows yeah. or something like that, right? <laughs> so that's got to mean income's coming up, right? So if income's coming up, maybe that means rents are going up. And then all of a sudden, we're skating through a rising interest rate environment because the revenues from the rents are, are pulling us through it. That would be a really nice scenario. And who knows? That looks like that might be absolutely plausible. I guess the point of this podcast and the reason we wanted to come on and just have this conversation was just let everybody know it's happening. Because I feel like sometimes you don't read this in the newspaper. Hey, guess what? Conventional rates for 300,000 square foot industrial builds are up 160 basis points. Like you don't see that. Financial post headline above the fold. Yeah, Yeah. no, not so much. Yeah. Any sort of risk mitigants in this vein? I mean, are a little tough. I mean, because bond markets, we don't really control over. One is if you are closing term deals, early rate lock is a fantastic option. We do it regularly. And generally, I talk about it in environments like we are in currently where uh, people really see the danger. But yeah, early rate lock is one, of course. If you're underwriting anything for the future, underwrite conservatively. Make sure that, you know, always have your blue sky model, but 
make sure that the conservative version of that underwriting does work as well, because we could be headed to more middling returns in terms of uh, where we thought we would be. Yeah. Maybe you should be start thinking about growing your rainy day fund, right? This is, I think there's some, there are probably some landowners or real estate owners out there thinking, okay, maybe my, my rainy day fund isn't as large as it needs to be to protect myself against some of these stresses. And obviously that's right now there is seem to be a sort of a, a requirement of more equity in the deals. The last thing I'll point out before we move on, unless Adam's got one thing last. I got one thing, but you go. Okay. You go. Is if you do have mortgages right now and you are a borrower and you are an owner of real estate and you have mortgages coming to maturity in the next three, six, eight, 12 months, you should probably call your lender if you haven't already. <laughs> yeah. Call them, figure out what's going on, game plan, because there is going to be sticker shock for a lot of people coming out of, because five years ago, interest rates were below where they are today. So you might have an interest rate I'll use CMC insure because that's easier. You might have an interest rate of 2.5% and you're now coming out and you're maturing and you're rolling and it might be 4%. And that extra 150 basis points, that's a meaningful difference on what you can afford and what you can borrow. I think there's a lot of people out there, particularly in the apartment space, where people have just been every five years rolling into another larger mortgage, right? Taking out more equity, buying more apartments, taking out more equity, refinancing, buying more apartments. And unfortunately, we're in in an environment where you're probably just going to have to refinance, reamortize, and no, no money out. But again, if you go to mortgage, whether it's CMC insured, conventional, on a retail storefront, or you know, a large industrial complex, call your lender. I'm just going to add to end on a on a positive note. I'm Nancy I, Negative, yeah. credit guy, <laughs> sales guy. We've done this before. Yeah. I'm the devil on the shoulder, and uh, Aaron's the angel, <laughs> of course. Is in historical context, you know, these interest rates are not catastrophic. We're back to kind of 2019 interest rates and the world didn't end then. So it's unlikely to do so now. It is hard to ignore the fact that it was so much cheaper not that long ago. That is coming off of absolute historic all-time lows. So for perspective, you know, interest rates in the threes and fours, you know, have not collapsed markets before. So we're still in a good space with lots of uh, runway ahead of us. Yeah, sorry. And that's a good point. This is not catastrophic. This isn't Armageddon. It's not like it went from 2% to 12%. We just, it's gone up a proportionate amount that is, I think, meaningful and, and worth having a conversation about. All right. I like it. Nice note to end on. So that's it. There's no guest to thank, but I'll thank Aaron, of course, for uh, for joining. Well, thanks, today. Adam. Yeah. Thanks for coming. And thanks for listeners who stuck around to the end. And thanks to First National for, of course, powering the podcast. See you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.